Welcome to the Dark Zone, an Event Racing podcast. This is your host, Brian Gatens. In Event Racing lingo, a dark zone is a time when, due to darkness or safety, teams are paused on the course before continuing with the race. During that time, stories are exchanged, friendships are kindled, spirits are restored, and teams have a chance to prepare for the next challenge. We hope that you make good use of this dark zone. We're glad that you're here. Thank you, listeners, for joining us for this flash episode of the Dark Zone in Event Racing podcast. We are joined by Team Peak Pursuit, who did very well in Expedition Oregon, and they joined us soon after their finish. Before we get into the episode, I do want to thank Adventure Addicts Racing for supporting this episode. Centered in and around Maryland and Virginia, Adventure Addicts Racing is focused on the beginner, introducing them to the sport with shorter races, but also longer races up to 24 hours. You can visit their website at adventureaddictsracing.com and keep an eye out for their next race, the Buff Betty, on September 24th. Today, we are joined by three members of Team Peak Pursuit. Ben, Tom, and Jasper just finished Expedition Oregon and are here for this quick episode to share their experience. They do a really good job bringing all of us what it was like out there, how they dealt with those rough conditions, how they kept an eye on other racers, and how their background and training helped them along the way. They did great in the race, and we are so happy that they joined us. Welcome to a, a flash edition of the Dark Zone Adventure Racing Podcast. We are joined uh, by, by Darren Steinbach, who is the Assistant Race Director for Expedition Oregon, which just wrapped up today, May 15th, 2022. From time to time, we do flash podcasts where we try to get a hold of a team immediately after a race, talk a bit about their experience, tap into what it was like. And today we are joined by three members of Team Peak Pursuit. Tell us a bit about Peak Pursuit, where you're from, and how did your race go? Hey, thanks for having us. Yeah, I appreciate that a lot. Um, yeah, the three of us here, myself, Ben Kuyakowski, we've got Tom Hardy and Jasper Edge, um, three members of Peak Pursuit here. Um, we are uh, wildland firefighters, current or former wildland firefighters from British Columbia. Um, we got into adventure racing expedition style um, just basically on a whim. Um, we threw in an application to Eco Challenge Fiji, and for some reason, they accepted us and we got hooked. We loved it. We were able to finish that course, um, then got into Expedition Canada and, you know, managed to do relatively well there. We ironed out some kinks, figured out how this whole whole game works, and then uh, learned quite a bit and brought that to, to what we're doing um, for the race yesterday that com- completed yesterday. So you took off two pretty big races, right? You talked about Fiji and you talked about Canada. How does this race feel like compared to those two? Yeah, we were discussing this earlier, and uh, obviously at the time, uh, Eco Challenge Fiji was a huge, huge deal, uh, since none of us had really done any adventure racing other than maybe the occasional three-hour one here or there. Um, And so we just didn't even know what we didn't know for that race back then. And through the subsequent races we've picked up, from mistakes we make and just talking to other teams uh a lot of really helpful information about how to make uh easier and more efficient pre during and post race so uh expression oregon here i'd say was much more challenging um navigation and route finding and the conditions with all the snow and cold temperatures definitely added that extra dynamic um cg just was a bit longer uh for us and so the the issues that come with uh extended expedition race 
uh, with the ongoing fatigue management that was a bigger factor. Well, it sounds like that's what happened out in Oregon. And, and you know, anybody who's read about the race or followed along and credit to, to Team Ben Racing for having a lot of commenters along the way. And I'm sure that when you're done, you'll have a chance to read through the various threads. We had Barbara Phipps on one hand. We had we had um, Brent Friedland from Rootstock Racing giving updates. Jason was giving updates. Chelsea, Darren, everybody was pitching in to talk a bit about the race itself. And you touched on the idea that one of the biggest factors of the race that seemed to catch people by surprise was the weather and especially the snow that you had to go through. Um, in, in my notes here, um, you had a you had a trek to a bike and you had a big pack raft. How did the pack raft section go for you? Uh, the pack rafting was interesting. Um, Jasper is a uh, is a pretty talented uh, uh, whitewater guy, um, but the rest of us have not very much experience. Um, even with pack rafts, it was Jasper's first time in it. Um, Tom's never really done any whitewater. That was uh, my first whitewater experience. <laughs> okay, so, so so for those at home, let's let's qualify that. How long was the was that was that first pack rafting section? Twenty-two miles. Twenty-two of, miles, and it was your first time being in whitewater. Yeah. yeah. How'd, that, how'd that go? It went well, super well. Like being around <laughs> these guys who were comfortable in, in the water and great leads, uh, yeah, made it happen. And they just walked me through what happens when, you know, things flip and you get back in, keep going, just keep, keep going. going. Yeah. And clearly that was, that was big water, some class three, class four water. Everybody went in drink. It sounds like most teams, it felt like went in the water at one point or the other. How did you do now? You're from British Columbia, Canada, you're used to the cold. How did going into that water strike all of you? It was fine. We had dry suits on. We were well prepared. Um, all the communication leading up to the race um, was great about what to expect. We knew that there was going to be big water. We knew that there was going to be snow. We knew that there was going to be a lot of, let's say, environmental adversity. Um, and we tried to come prepared. Although when this sort of you know adventure racing you can only prepare yourself that much because there is the element of surprise. And there's also the element of how much gear do you pack? How much do you carry with you? Is it worth carrying that pair of snowshoes for this patch of snow when you're going to have to carry them over dry? I think we were well prepared knowing that it was going to be long, it's going to be cold. And, and we, we wore the dry suits and, you know, some of the swimming was fun. <laughs> I'd really like to credit the race directors for the, um, logical progression of the race. They pick most of the um, objectively higher risk activities to put at the beginning. So the whitewater uh, pack rafting, the high mountain trek and the mountain bike leg. Those are all near the beginning of the race when we are relatively fresh and making smarter decisions. Um, so yeah, it was really well thought out kind of linking all these different pieces together. And that was a common thing that we we read and we saw going up to the race that anybody who went into the race and said that they didn't know what was expected of them clearly didn't read what was sent out by the race director. So so credit to Jason and to Darren for making certain that everybody who got into it knew what they were doing along the way. The weather comes in, the weather's hard. You come through the pack raft. And to your point, the the first half of the race clearly felt like the harder half of the race. And as you were saying, you're, you're fresher and, and fresh and adventure racing is a relative term, right? Cause you're awake for 30, 36, 40 hours. And that's still considered to be early in the race. When you, when you came into that first chunk of the race and you had to factor in the effort combined with the long paddle combined with the, the, the trek in the snow, how did you do 
with those other factors that you could control? How did you do with your nutrition, your clothing, your sleep? Like how did all those factors come together? Cause that's a tricky thing. And it's just more than just like a marathon where it's one day's effort. It's a multi-day effort. You have to sort of manage a lot of things simultaneously. How did that go? That's something that we're definitely learning as it comes into it. Um, and you know, of course I, the first couple of races, you have no idea and you can over-prepare sometimes and carry more than you need, or you can end up under-prepared and you don't have what you need. Um, I think we're starting to find that happy balance of, you know, being able to look at a section, be at a transition area and, you know, a lot of thought process beforehand and kind of expecting what's the maximum sort of timeline here that we have and bringing enough so that we can manage that. So in terms of the nutrition, that sort of thing, between the four of us, we can have enough to sustain us for more than the amount of time that we're expecting to take. That way we're not, you know, run it close to empty, but we're not, we're not running on fumes, let's say at the end. Combine that with the, the sleep side of things, same sort of thing. We're, we're still experimenting with that. We have some understanding of how the sleep depth uh, impacts us. But as for the strategies of when to use that, uh, that time to rest, that's something still very fresh for us. And we had a lot of conversations about that, um, both about during the course about when we were going to, when we had to, when was optimal, when it was needed, and then learning from that of how that is impacted in so many different ways. So by combining all of that together in that first section, that was so, so much more technical, let's say, we we wanted to push through it as quickly as possible, but also making sure that we were at sort of our peak performance, making sure that we weren't going on into these nasty stages, um, not well prepared. And I think that worked out well for us that, um, you know, coming into that big mountain section where we headed up Mount Bailey, we were feeling quite quite good coming into that one. And I think we excelled in that. Um, other than coming out at the end of it, we had a bit of, um, you know, joint problems that slowed us down a little bit and the sleep deprivation caught up to us, but we were sort of right on that limit where we were able to manage all of that, hold it all together, keep all the pieces together and get us ourselves down to that next TA where it was a nice lodge rest, three hours sleep, you know, reset, get warm and then get on it in the second half. So when you mentioned the sleep deprivation got to you, one of your teammates smiled, how did the sleep <laughs> deprivation get to you? And I see a laughter there. Yeah. Was it, was it hallucinations? Was it, was it falling asleep on the, the feet? How, how, how did that go for you? It was, it was a bit of all of that. So we've obviously, we've all experienced the hallucinations you get um, adventure racing. And uh, so we got an hour and a half sleep on the second night of the race. And then we were planning to push through, as Ben said, all the way to uh, the lodge down on Diamond Lake. Um, but that, that third night was when it really hit me the hardest. Um, we were snowshoeing up Mount Bailey and I just couldn't keep my eyes open. So I was just walking eyes closed, following in the tracks. And then I'd stumble to the side and my team would just be like left, right. <laughs> and I'd be reaching down, grabbing stuff off the ground, thinking it was some uh, garbage someone dropped, but it's just a chunk of snow or I was having conversations with my sister who I could see right next to me, but obviously <laughs> in another country um so there's kind of seeing stuff that's not there um but then this was a whole new level for me where i i was absolutely useless as a team member i was just a, a sandbag they were dragging up the hill so that was but that's but that's a good point to make an adventure racing is that because it's a team sport you don't want everybody to feel that way at the same time 
So while you felt that way, your teammates were fine. And then they went through their own stages. Exactly. The following night, I was feeling really, really fresh. And a couple of the others were uh, feeling a bit more down. And um, as we've discovered, one of the most effective ways is just keeping your mind active if you're doing a um, like a long trek or bike ride or something. So we just cycle through talking to each other and we talk about every topic under the sun um, to try and keep you engaged and keep you laughing. And yeah, if we're having fun with each other, then we're gonna kind of push through that night and be good. Who, who was the primary navigator? That'd be myself, Ben. Okay, so Ben, with the navigation, these big races tend to, there were orienteering sections we could talk a bit about there, but these big races tend to have a lot of distance in between the checkpoints. Did you find that along the way? Did you find the checkpoints were difficult to find? Were they far off the trail or was the navigation rather straightforward? Um, I'd say a combination, you know, when we got to a location, it was quite clear where that checkpoint was meant to be. And we weren't doing an Easter egg hunt, trying to, trying to find these things. If you navigated well, then you'd be put on top of it. There was one point that was tucked in a root ball. That was a bit tough. (laughs) Um, But otherwise, you know, going these long, long distances in between them, if you can stay on top of that navigation and have that mental map and be able to put your own blue dot on that map, as you're looking at it, sort of follow yourself along there, then there's, there's no problem. Um, Unfortunately, you know, I spend most of the time with the, with the maps in front of me. um, But both of these guys, are dialed in navigation as well so as we're as we're navigating there are times when i have the map in front of me and quickly making decisions especially you know when we're flying down roads on the bike it's just left right here we go um but in general we have a conversation to make sure that everybody's on the same page and nobody's making mistakes three brains are better than one um so i can parse in all that information you know pare it down to what's really important bring it forth to these guys and say this is what's up what do you think and then they give some input as well and that way everybody's eyes are on the road everybody's heads on a swivel and we're all sort of doing it together which i think is extremely valuable and at at any point in the race was there any major nav bobbles did you find yourself spinning in circles at any point well, we, we did a few little detours around and out and back sort of things that we're like, okay, the trail has to be here. So you walk a couple K one direction. And you're like, well, it's not. And you head back and you end up finding it. And you just went past it, missed it sort of thing, but you solved the problem. And, but the biggest part I think of our team was that we, we call Ben the navigator, but we also don't call him the navigator when we make a mistake, right? It's like, we made the mistake. We all have the ability to look at the map. It's, it's a team effort. And at no point in time, it was like, oh, fuck, why, why did Ben, why did you go that direction? It's like, oh, why did we go that direction? Like, we, it's, it's a team effort navigating. So and, let me ask you that, if I may, if I can jump in for the navigation question for a second. Ben, did you have to communicate to your teammates when you needed help with the maps, or did they know enough to come alongside you? Or, do, or are you verbal about that? We're quite good about doing it all the time that I'm looking at the max, maps, making all these decisions. And when there's a, a clear decision point, I would say, come on in guys, huddle up, take a look. This is what we see. And then do we need to have a conversation? There were times when we conversed, I think the longest was maybe half an hour when we really, really deliberated a major, major decision. And we flipped one way, made the wrong decision went in that direction and then had another huddle talked for another solid amount of time and then turned around went back the other way and it ended up being the right decision so being able to have that sort of communication and deliberation within our team i think is is quite valuable and you know talking with tom after the race 
um, yeah, just speculating on, on how that can be advantageous for us of being able to have those conversations and being able to being able to make those decisions together because we have a, a pretty big history. We've, we've been friends, coworkers, we recreate together. We're all quite closely connected for five plus years that we have that sort of innate communication ability. Yeah. And that's, and that's a, and to the, to that point, there's because you, because you know each other so well, you begin to pick up a lot of those nonverbal cues when someone's in distress, not in distress. And you also know, the, the the boundaries in regards to getting along with each other in a big race, right? So you're in a high stress situation because you know each other so well, you're not going to cannibalize each other out on, on the field, right? And and clearly you got that. Yeah. And we're with our background uh, as wildland firefighters in British Columbia, we're used to being in those stressful situations, working 14 to 18 hours a day for two weeks straight. Um, where these two guys on a crew with me, it's not just about being happy, but it's our, our lives are on the line together. So you have to trust the person next to you and recognize when they need help and ask for help. And so I think we're really good at um, balancing all of that stuff and not freaking well, out. Well, yeah, I would, I would assume being, uh, being a, a wildland firefighter and having that be your profession, well, there's a few factors that go in your way when it comes to adventure racing. First off, this is a recreational activity for you, right? Your, your, your work is different, right? You're, 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 you're saving lives. You're, you're, you're keeping yourself safe. You're, you're protecting wooded areas. And so that's your job. So this is like your off day, but you're able to apply a lot of your, your personal fitness ability, your ability to work together under stress, to communicate effectively. All of those factors come together because I don't want to cut too quickly to the chase. How did you do in the overall race? What was your final standing? Uh, we ended up third place. Um, yeah, we were able to, uh, we were sitting in uh, fourth coming into the last uh, stage there and we were able to, to pass one team in the last stage and, and managed to catch the podium there. Did you expect to, and Canadians are known for their humility, right? So I think I already know the answer you're going to give me, <laughs> but did you expect to do that well coming into the race? No, we didn't. Uh, you know, <laughs> we had some thoughts about it, and you know, we, we were feeling feeling pretty good, and well prepared, and looked at the course and thought that it catered pretty well to to some of our abilities. So we we thought that we would give it a go. Um, but you know, looking at our priorities coming into the race, priority one is to have some fun. Like you said, it's recreating. We're here to have some fun and push ourselves to the limit. You know, that that's another priority for us is really pushing ourselves to the limit and pushing as hard as we can and sort of testing ourselves against the course. Um, and then sort of tertiary to that is how do we compare to other people? Are we able to get to that podium? We are competing. It is a race. It is a competition. Um, and to, to try and, you know, compete as hard as we can. But at the end of the day, we had an unreal time. It was so much fun. We really pushed our limits. We learned a ton and we hit the podium. So I think we nailed all three on the head. Yeah, it, it sounds like it was it, it, all of the boxes that you wanted to check coming into the race. It felt that you checked. First off, you're, the three of you could be in the room at the same time talking to each other, right? Because I've been in races where everyone needs a little bit of downtime away from each other. Sounds like that's not your problem right now. Um, I, I, and for the folks at home, the heads are shaking, so that's good. It sounds like you had a great time. Even though you, you'll you'll loathe to admit it, you, you, you performed really, really well. You had no sense coming in on how well you would do it. Clearly you had a really strong uh, result during the course of the race. And this is an important point I like to bring up for people who are beginning to race. How much did you, or did you not talk about other teams during the race? 
That varied a bit. Um, depending on our mood, I'd say. Uh, at certain points, it's definitely a motivator to be like, oh, the team in front of us only left this uh, TA half an hour ago. Let's push hard and pass them. Because it's, every time you pass a team, it doesn't happen very often, of course, uh, that's a huge kind of energy boost um, and keeps the morale high. Um, but other times you're just fighting the course itself. And at, at points we were just talking about survival, not even about getting through the course, but how do we survive this night up in this snowy mountain? Um, and if you see another team, you're not thinking about them as competition. You're thinking about them as other humans who are in this harsh environment and making sure they are okay and um, working together if needed. So on that note, how on that meter, right, of zero where the event is fun and safe and there's no problem at all to 10 where you feel like you're in an emergency situation and for what you do for a living, you have a, a better understanding of this. At what point, how close do you think you got to the other side of that meter in terms of we're going to need to bivy down here overnight, we're going to need to ride this storm out, like the wind's too much, or was it just keep your head down, you get the right amount of clothes on and keep moving forward? I think it was more along that lines of just keep going that we were, we were, not only were we well prepared, but we've been in those situations before of being on the top of the mountain and things are going sideways. In addition to the wildland firefighting, we've got a lot of experience in our team with avalanche forecasting, search and rescue, ski patrol, um, mountaineering, adversity, and those sort of mountain conditions. And that's our element. We're, you know, we thrive in those conditions. And <clears throat> I don't think that we were ever in a situation where we thought that we were in trouble. Gotcha. There were absolutely times where we thought this sucks. It's painful. Right. Keep grinding. And there were also times when we were around other teams, especially at the top of Mount Bailey, when there were teams that weren't doing great. And that was a consideration um, was how they were doing and how we were going to help them. Um, and actually at the, at the top of, uh, of the mountain there, another team approached us and said, we are not doing well. They were clearly hypothermic and they said, you know, the lake is over in this direction and pointed in a completely wrong direction. They said, how do we get down there? And I said, well, <clears throat> let's give you a hand, follow us. We've got lots of more warm layers. Let's give you a, a warm layer if you need. Follow us down, let's get off this mountainside. Sure enough, we got down into, into tree line <clears throat> and went our, our separate ways. And later on, we found one of the gentlemen again, wandering around on his own aimlessly. <laughs> Um, and I, I don't know the exact details of how he ended up there on his own, but he was no longer with his team and he had two packs on him. Um, so we took him under our wing and, uh, pulled him along and, and got him down to the checkpoint. And sure enough, his team was there waiting, um, quite concerned and, and we were able to reconnect them. So yeah, it, it it's, um, it's a, it's a cool combination of, um, you know, you know, looking back at how we interact with the other teams and how we talk about them and what we think about them. Sometimes we think of them as our um, adversaries that we're battling against this course and battling against the race. Um, but more often we think of them as comrades where we're all in this fight together and you come across a team and it's always a positive, great interaction. And we stop and you, you don't stop and have a coffee, but you know, you right. say some polite hellos and chat about the race a little bit, get some high fives and then you smile and and you're stoked to see them next time you see them as well. And when things are ad ad adverse, then you put your race on hold. It doesn't matter what's going on. You help yeah, and that's And that's time and time again. That's adventure racing, right? The, these these oh. these experiences are so intense that we, we can't possibly eat each other alive out there. We have to take care of each other. 
I, I know we're up against the time deadline because you have a, an awards dinner to go to and rightfully so you're going to be getting some awards, but I just want to cover four quick things real quickly before we finish up here. So how did you all do on the ropes course? Who did the climbing? Ben and I did the climbing, uh, no issue for us. We're both, uh, recreational climbers, uh, back in Canada and around the world. Um, and our job with wildland firefighting is on a um, specialized rappel crew. So we access remote fires from by rappelling from helicopters. And so the rappelling side of things was uh, pretty cruisy. Yeah, easy, right? Yeah. Now, were you tempted to walk on the high line like Gary did? Have you heard about that yet? <laughs> yeah, we, we heard about that Uh Going down a rope is one thing. Balancing on top is uh, definitely not a talent. Yeah, he's, he's a show off. I'll take care of him later on. Then there was the, the Wim Hof cold water slide. Yeah. Who did that? So, I, um, so those, those sort of challenges, it's really fun that the uh, race directors put them in because it kind of mixes it up from just clipping a, a, a flag. Um, so any of the ones that were optional, well, optional for one person to do within the group. Um, we'd just look at whoever had that as a strength or whoever was doing best at the time. So at that point, I was really warm. I was feeling full of energy, and I quite like cold water, so I was happy to jump in. And, and, that, re and that required you to jump into – did you slide down a rock or did you jump off a cliff? Slid down the rock. Slid down yeah. the rock until the – and what was the water temperature, do you think? <laughs> Just above freezing, a couple degrees above freezing. And this is like day four, day five, day six, day six hundred. <laughs> well, later stages. One of them later. There. It's all one big blur. I apologize for asking about number days, right? Because it's all okay. one big race. Um, and then there was something to do with guns. There was gunplay out there. Yeah. So just before the last of. Like taking our backraft to the water, uh, we got into this gravel pit and hiked up to the top. And they had uh, BB guns that we had to shoot uh, beer cans with. <laughs> and if you missed, you had twenty shots for the whole team, and everybody on the team had to hit hit can hit a can. And uh, and if you didn't make it, you had to do so many burpees. I don't know what the number was. We didn't we didn't get to that part. But uh, uh, yeah, we had the three of us guys did uh, three for three shots right out of the get go and. Um, our third teammate, uh, took a couple, couple extras, but we did no burpees. So we were, yeah, I think we surprised the Americans a bit in our uh, gun coding abilities, but, uh, yeah, yeah, that's a uh, good job. Good job, Canada. We're proud of you up there. Um, and then the, the very last question I have is this and, and credit to you and, and your, and who was your fourth teammate, by the way? Yeah, that was something that I, I wanted to mention there that the three of us are here chatting, but our, our fourth that joined us, uh, Ashley, was a phenomenal addition to our team. Um, and in the past with uh, with these expedition races, um, our fourth, Laura Van Jarrett, is also a wildland firefighter who is just as connected to as the three of us are. She's she's just as tight with us. Unfortunately, she wasn't able to, to join us for this race. Uh, so we reached out to the community and we found another British Columbian, um, Ashley, who is a phenomenal addition. Um, extremely strong person, um, gelled really well with the team, um, fit very well with all our sort of mantras and ideals. She, um, she lives in British Columbia as well. Um, we, we met her once before the race. So that was new to us. Um, you know, because we're all so tight coming into it, um, it was a, 
it was a different dynamic having somebody that we don't know as well. Um, but it ended up working very well that because the three of us know each other quite well, she just kind of slotted right into the, right into the mix. And we were all able to, um, you know, not only, uh, not only function as great individuals, but sort of um, excel as a team together and kind of feed off of each other. And she, and she helped hugely with that. Yeah. That comes across as clearly in, in the short conversation we've had, I could see how, the bar that any teammate she would have to jump over to be a member of your team is very, very low, right? Work hard, have fun, be fit, be ready to go, right? It sounds like that's what you expected of her. Here's the very last question I have for you. So what's next for Team Peak Pursuit? Um, (laughs) Fire season. (laughs) Yeah, it's very unpredictable. Um, Two of these boys are uh, active firefighters. Um, Myself uh, as a professional forester uh, involved with many different aspects of wildfire as well. Um, But we're going to be quite busy over the next handful of months, potentially. We don't know. It could be a big fire season, could be quiet. Um, But uh, we have no races at all planned over the the next little bit here. But coming to the fall, um, some shorter races, keep getting things dialed, um, recreate as much as we can and then put something put a, another race on the list and and try and push it even further um i think we're all extremely hooked on this sport um it's ludicrous and it's insane and so is every person that does it and so are we and we found a group of like-minded people and and we're so excited to to keep pushing it into this and really see what we are capable of and keep learning and and pushing it to both our limits um but also you know, see how we, we stack up against against some of these these real teams. Well, folks, Peak Pursuit, thank you for joining us on The Dark Zone. You did a great job today. Darren, I appreciate you putting together this interview so quickly. Um, we're yep. going to get this out to the public. Best of <laughs> luck, fellas. Be safe during fire season. Be safe with your outdoor pursuits. The sport is better for having you with us. Congratulations and go enjoy that awards dinner. Thank awesome. you so much. Thanks a lot. Thanks for having us. Thanks, Brian.